Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Deep Dives in the Minds of Esports. My name is Blake Panashevitz, and it gives me great pleasure to introduce my next guest, who is formerly of the Optic Gaming brand, with the most dominant Gears of War team in history. Please let me introduce Nicholas Ridgway, maybe better known as Ashes. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me, man. So it's my I, pleasure to, to be here. So this is kind of crazy, and like just hearing myself say it, like I never knew that your name was Nick. I just always assumed that your parents named you Ashes because it's so synonymous with just who you are. <laughs> you know, I've actually thought about like, I wonder how hard it would be to legally change my name to Ashes, but I do enjoy being Nick. I kind of enjoy having that like separation of yeah. like the people in real life, like family who call me Nick, and then like everybody in the esports world who goes, hey, Ash or hey, Ashes. So mm -hmm. I like having yeah. that. Yeah, I, I can understand that. I, I actually, like, I used to go by, like, a gamer tag name, and then, like, with, just with my job profession, it didn't really make a lot of sense to use it because everyone calls me by my name anyway, so I kind of swapped yeah. over uh, because of that. Um, I, I always start off the show really easily with asking a, a pretty easy question to start off the bat. So um, I don't know how many people know this, but you used to own a donut shop, which we'll definitely get into more often. But why is the Punchki your favorite donut to make? The, the I'm sorry, the what? <laughs> oh, my God, Punchki. It's a Polish donut. How do you... How do you uh, look, so my donut shop was not like your traditional bakery, okay. mom and pop donut shop. It was a, um, I, I, I grew up in a, like a beach resort area mm -hmm. and my first job ever was in this local donut shop that was actually really well known. It was, a uh, it was on food network and, and mm -hmm. all of these like television programs because they were one of the first places that would make cake donuts that were oh. fried hot and fresh to your order so like they weren't sitting on a shelf we didn't you know pick them off a rack it was you came in you told us what ones you wanted we turned on the machine made 12 donuts and then hand dipped them in the glazes and toppings and whatever um so i did that for like 10 years and when i started my own i kind of took that concept modified the recipe a little bit for some changes i thought made it better and then uh we we changed the size down to smaller, like little mini donuts and changed the way we serve them to be almost more like an ice cream bar where you Ooh. get your little box of mini donuts and we scoop like toppings and stuff on this carton of mini donuts. Um, oh, so God. it was like a different enough business idea to, you know, not be disrespectful towards where I started, but was still kind of in the same area of my expertise. And so it was, it was very different in terms of like, you know, we didn't have cream filled or, or, you know, jelly filled donuts or, you know, Polish donuts or anything like that. It was very like easy going, mini donuts. Choose what you want on them. That sounds amazing. I, I mostly baited you with the question because I'm obviously Polish and Punchki Day is like <laughs> a, a a revered holiday for me that every year I order like two dozen Punchkis and I eat them all to myself, which is like just <laughs> asking for diabetes. But yeah, so I, I, I haven't done something similar though. I, 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 we're going to kind of get into that. You mentioned that you grew up on a, uh, a, a resort town or a beach, a beach town, right? Where'd you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Ocean City, Maryland. Um, so it's often known as like the eastern shore of Maryland. Most people think of like Baltimore. Um, mm -hmm. and this is like across the bay from Baltimore. It's like the beach town everyone goes to. Okay, so it must have a, a, a ton of tourism in it then. Yeah, it was, um, it was pretty interesting because I was actually just talking about this the other day with my girlfriend. Right now, I'm in like the Dallas-Fort Worth area, so uh, you know every day during the weekday, it's traffic. It's it's just the same. It doesn't matter if it's summer or winter or fall. It's just all five days of the weekday there's traffic. Weekends, the malls are going to be busy. It doesn't matter. And I spent most of my life in Ocean City, Maryland, where it was the hundred days of summer was like the busiest time of the year, 
And, um, you know, that's when the town was packed. That's when, you know, the schools are out and everybody's going on vacation, the families and everything. And then once those 100 days end, once schools start getting back in session, it becomes a ghost town and all the businesses start like closing for the winter. And, you know, there's maybe one or two places and a couple fast food places open and all the hotels are closing down. So there's no traffic. And it's a much different experience going from like that, where like I'm, I'm so conditioned to, you know, summer is busy, winter is not to now where it's like it doesn't matter what time it's going to be busy. So uh, I'm still trying to get used to that. And I just started recognizing that the other day when I was stuck in traffic. Yeah, I, that that when I lived in L.A., the traffic was definitely one of the things because I'm from a, a Midwestern uh, uh, little tiny town in Michigan, like Upper Peninsula, Michigan. And so like there's like no traffic at all. And when I lived in L.A. for a year, it was like, wow, this is just weird. It's like there's so many cars every single day. It's <laughs> insane. Yeah, so. LA's a different beast. Yeah, I, I, I didn't think it was that bad, but a lot of people are like, oh, God, it's terrible. I'd rather deal with L.A. than Chicago like any day. I don't know. I don't like driving in Chicago. Um, kind of looking at wh where you grew up, though, and this idea of both like uh, the huge amounts of people during the summer and then in the winter, it's really dead. How, like when you say really dead going to school there, like how many kids did you have in your school in like perspective? Um, I'm trying to remember. I think my so my I actually went to a private Catholic school for seventh and eighth grade and I had 11 kids in my class, like my <laughs> entire grade. Oh, wow. Um, and then when I went back to public school for high school, it was much different. I think I had 400 kids in my okay. grade and there was 2000 in the school. That's still pretty um, small. Yeah, it, it's small compared to like a lot of, you know, like city places. Yeah. Um, it, but it, it felt normal, I guess. It felt big to me going from, you know, the private yeah. Catholic school to that. Um, but it still felt like you know, it, it seemed familiar to what you see in shows and TV. I mean, how do you, you don't really have any other references other than yeah. what you see in, in pop culture. So it's like, uh, you know, I, I felt normal in terms of, you know, the experiences I had. Yeah. Do you have any brothers or sisters? I have two older stepbrothers. Oh, okay. How much older are they than you? Uh, one of them is, I believe, 30. I'm 27. So I think one of them's 31 and the other one's like 36 or 35, somewhere in there. Okay. Uh, and did you grow up with them most of your life or no? Uh, not really. So I actually was born uh, in Alexandria, Virginia. And then my family lived in West Virginia until I was in like second or third grade. And that's when we moved to Maryland. And uh, while we lived in West Virginia, my brothers would spend, you know, some weeks with us and mm -hmm. then some weeks with uh, their, their mother. And so I kind of had that experience of like, I have brothers uh, mm -hmm. growing up, like when I was really young. Um, and then when we moved to Maryland, one of them stayed back in West Virginia. One of them kind of came with us. And then he went back for college um, not long after we like finished building our house and everything. So it really, I'd say the majority of like my, my you know, adolescent years, uh, I was pretty much like an only child. Just I was aware that there was somewhere in West Virginia, my siblings. Mm -hmm. um but i didn't have that you know experience of like fighting over the xbox controller you know when i was trying to play halo or stuff like that it was pretty much me on my own um it that that all happened when it was n64 when i was in second grade yeah yeah so <laughs> you mentioned that you moved and your parents uh built their own house what do your parents do for a living uh so my my father owns a contracting construction business okay 
he uh, he's like a licensed master plumber and licensed contractor. So he does a lot of construction work, uh, renovations, things like mm-hmm. that. And then my mother does a lot of business consulting for doctor's offices oh, and wow. kind of that management back end stuff. So uh, a lot of her work was, you know, uh, commuting to back to Washington, D.C. or Alexandria with the doctor's office she was working with and then um, coming home, you know, and, and it was kind of like a few days there and then home for a week and then a few days there. Um, and then she kind of was able to separate that into being more remote. And then she was one of the people who worked with me on the donut shop. Um, and then until we sold that, so, uh, she's kind of had her, her hands in a lot of different, uh, a lot of different pies, so to speak, but she most, almost all of it is like backhand business development and management. Okay. So you mentioned that you worked in a donut shop for 10 years. Now we're actually the same age and like, I, I kind of like, I was looking at like your career cause you started doing, uh, esports, uh, fairly shortly after college. Um, like relatively speaking, that means you would have been doing the donut shop like throughout, like I'm, I'm guessing like elementary school into high school, right? Yeah. So I, um, when we were lived in West Virginia, we would vacation in ocean city mm-hmm. and in the summer. And one of our traditions was going to this donut shop and, you know, every year and, and I was, you know, first grade, second grade, or even kindergarten. So I wasn't, you know, a, a person who would like recognize people by name or something. Yeah. I just knew this was the donut lady who gave me donuts every time I went on vacation. So that's why I would call her the donut lady. And there was one summer where she told me, um, when you're old enough and if you're able to, you come to me and I'll give you a job because I, I love donuts. I've always loved donuts as a kid and now, unfortunately. <clears throat> and um, so then we ended up moving to Ocean City and uh, I turned I was 13 turning 14 and that's was old enough to get a work permit uh, from school and like start earning money. So I uh, went to her uh, in the summer, uh, like the, the right when the schools were starting to be done. And I said, Hey, I'm the kid who called you the donut lady when I was in first grade. Uh, I'm here for that job you offered me. And she brought me on and they taught me, I started off just, you know, being a cashier kind of thing. And then they taught me how to make the donuts. And um, I, by the second summer I, I worked there, I had keys to the shop at like 15 years old and was like helping like open and, and close and run it and um, pretty much handling everything short of, you know, staffing and pay payroll and ordering supplies. And by the time I was 16, 17, I was doing that too. Uh, just because I don't know, I, I, I was raised right. And I had a, managerial mindset to things and Mm -hmm. kind of like that team leader mindset so i uh i just kind of adapted those responsibilities pretty quickly and i asked for more because you know in a donut shop there's only so many things you can do to keep your mind busy so uh yeah i i I was working from a really young age and i I wanted to earn my money and i wanted to pay for things you know that that was a big thing with my family was you know you if you want something you have the money for it like Mm -hmm. you have the money for that pokemon action figure do you have the money for that wrestling figure uh you have money for the Pokemon cards, like all the things I was interested to. It was like I would grab it off the shelf and tell my mom I want it. And she said, well, how many dollars do you have? So um, I was taught pretty early on that, you know, I'd like the importance of money and saving. And, you know, if I want something, I need to save up for it and be able to afford it. So started working early. I think that's a really good uh, like work ethic to install in people. When did you get it in your head? Because I think this is like a really important thing to your character. When you get it in your head that like, okay, you know what? I've been working at this donut shop for a while. It's time to to compete. It's time time to time to bring the the A game and compete against them. 
Um, honestly, like the last two or three years I was working there, um, I was already kind of sick of it. it it's mm-hmm. just, it's repetitive. And yeah. I'm the type of person who likes to be challenged uh, so, and, and, you know, figure out puzzles. It's why I feel like I'm good at coaching. Mm-hmm. So, you know, doing the repetitive motions day in and day out. Plus, I was already trying to like work in esports more and do more in esports. And back then, esports was not nearly as um, fine tuned it is as yeah. it is now. So, like practice hours were going until three a.m. and then I have to be at the donut shop by six. So I was like killing myself from sleep deprivation, trying to like meet these hours and. The donut shop didn't have air conditioning because, you know, there was a line out the door all day long. So we, the door was just propped open and, and summer yeah. heat. So there was no point. And, and so, like, I was just kind of sick. There was all these things that were building up. And uh, I, I was just kind of done with it. And um, I was in college and I came home from college. I, I just wasn't happy with where I was at in college in terms of, like, my degree path, uh, in terms of, you know, where I was in esports, and, and I felt like I was kind of lost, and I, I think a lot of people feel that way. Um, so I came home, and I was planning on taking time off from school to just mm-hmm. figure something out. And we had this idea and this opportunity, and the stars were kind of aligning that we could do it. And I had the you know experience of working with customers and actually knowing the recipes and how to make everything and what equipment we needed and all of that kind of stuff that I had from the experience working in the donut shop. Uh, and then I had, you know, some money saved that I could invest. My parents had some money saved that they could invest. Uh, my mom had like backend business management experience. And so it really just felt like once I came home from school, the stars kind of aligned to make that be a thing. And I wasn't <laughs> thrilled about it, but I was excited that it was something where I could do more of my own ideas and, and learn more about business management. So, we went for it and it, you know the first year was rough as any startup business yeah. in resort town and the second year was better i think we even like broke even the second year and the third year we like did really well and then we i, I my job in in esports was starting to take too much time and um uh it, we saw the opportunity to sell it and we actually ironically sold it back to the people who like owned the original donut shop that I started at because they were super friendly with us throughout the whole thing. Like they didn't have hard feelings. We even talked to them before we started to make sure like we weren't stepping on toes and Mm -hmm. uh, we actually sold it back to them and they kind of rebranded it, but like loved the location and the equipment and everything. So um, it was actually a really cool process. That's pretty cool. So uh, growing up throughout school, you have this extremely good work ethic. Does this apply to like all facets of your life? Like was school something that you also put that same amount of work ethic to? I should have. Um, I didn't. I I just um, I think for me, the biggest issue was I was not in the right place in terms of knowing what I wanted to do. Like I knew I wanted to go into game. And Mm -hmm. and when I started college or university, it was 2010. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't like esports was this big thing that it is now. Um, There wasn't, you know, LCS wasn't even a thing yet. So it was really difficult you know i'd been to some mlg events for gears of war 2 as a competitor and i'd been to one mlg event uh, for halo reach as a competitor i had never placed well but i always like dreamed of being you know walshy was the big name at the time um i always dreamed of being like that guy or some of like the big starcraft bros at the time 
but I was never like that good at any of the mm-hmm. games I played. I was good, just not that level. Um, but I knew I wanted to work in gaming. Gaming had always been my passion, and one of the like lessons I'm most thankful for my mom instilling in me is, you know, take what you love to do and figure out a way to make money doing it and make a career out of it. And so I was determined to figure out how I could make a career out of gaming. But it just the only way that that seemed possible was going into like game development, game design. So I started off as a computer science major, which was a subject that I loved in high school. And I was doing amazingly in my computer science classes and bombing my math classes, Um, which it didn't help that, you know, it was a 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. class and the lady barely spoke English and her accent was really thick and hard to understand. And and I sucked at math anyways. So I was actually like getting feedback from my advisors like we don't understand how you're doing so well in your computer science without doing well in math Mm -hmm. because they correlate so heavily. And I'm like, I don't know, just this one makes sense and this one doesn't. Um, so they wouldn't let me go forward in computer science anymore because I wasn't doing well in passing the math classes. So I had to change. So I changed to the art side of it thinking, okay, if I can't do the programming, I'll do like the creating of the worlds and the characters and you know, all that stuff. Um, the unfortunate part about that is there was a pretty good art program at the school I was at, but that meant there was a lot of like competition. Yeah. And so even though I got, even though I got accepted, like you had to apply to the art program and I got accepted because I'm not bad at drawing and art, but I'm not the same level as these people who eat, sleep and breathe any kind, you know, whatever their art is, whether it be photography or drawing or whatever. Um, And you have to do so many like basic level art courses to then get into the game design styled courses like the digital art. So I'm in, you know, drawing 101 and I'm with people who spend eight hours a day drawing for fun. So they're coming in with these Mona Lisa's that they've created for fun as their project. And I'm coming in with stick figures and I'm like, well, this sucks. And the the really weird thing that uh, actually used to piss me off so much was the art program, like the way they grade is almost how much the teacher thinks you put effort into it. So it was like they would give you this like list of like things that would like meet certain like the criteria basically for Mm -hmm. the for the project. And if you met that criteria would be like the grade. So I'm like, okay, you know, that's what I'm used to in computer science and any other class. You know, you got to do these many things like you write an essay and it's a thousand word essay. You got to have a thousand words if you want an A. Um, So I am like meeting this criteria to the best of my ability. And like to them, that's you know, that's the average. So that's a C. And you have to do above and beyond that criteria to earn the B's and the A's and stuff. Um, So it just made the whole subject of art really frustrating. And by the time I got to the classes that were the the game design and development classes in the art, you know, section, I was so burnt out on art in general i just didn't want anything to do it wasn't what i was wanting to do and by Mm -hmm. this point i'd already become heavily addicted to league of legends and was trying to compete in that and was finding that my drive to compete in league of legends was taking up like all the time i would normally spend working on schoolwork so going back to your original question i thought that was a super long-winded answer um my my work ethic was being was there when i was in college but it was being put towards esports 
rather than the actual college coursework, which was admittedly a mistake of mine, but I think it also led me to where I am now. So I don't necessarily regret it. I just regret how I handled it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's understandable because I know that like there was definitely years where the League of Legends addiction hit me too, and I wish that like if if I was like today and going back, I think I could have done both. I think I could have like like, and I think that's the thing is like I'm looking back and I'm like I feel like nowadays I'm so much used to handling like so much stress and all that. I feel like if I were to go back now and do it, I could just handle both of it. It wouldn't be that big of a deal. Um, but at the time, yeah, I don't think it's possible. Exactly. Um, no, I mean at the time, I just felt like you know I I'm not happy with with the art classes i'm not happy with the artwork uh the grading system doesn't make sense like it's not logical to me yeah and league of legends i'm enjoying i'm happy it makes sense and at the time you know i started playing in in 2010 actually i I started playing because um i didn't like years of war 3 and i then my grades weren't good my first semester uh, at college because i got slapped in the face by college yeah. Um, and like, you know, the workload and the expectations I was used to just, you know, cruising by, not having to try and getting straight A's in high school because it's easy. And then in college, you know, nobody cares. So nobody like holds your hand. If you don't show up to class, you don't show up. If you don't try, you you know, you got to. So I didn't do that great my first semester in college. And uh, my mom didn't let me take my Xbox back to school uh, when I went back after winter break. So I got back to my dorm room and it was, you know, the way our dorm room was, was almost like a small apartment where there was like a small living room and a bathroom with a shower like that, like that you walked into. And then on each side of this living room was a doorway that went into a two bed bedroom. So there was four of us sharing this like mini apartment. And I went in there and I talked to my one of my roommates who was like a, a PC gamer. And I was like, OK, what's a good game that I can play that's free that's on PC? Because I still had my computer. And uh, for a while, I was super addicted to Trackmania. And a lot of people don't know this. I was like, Trackmania is like a racing game. It's almost like Hot Wheels meets Forza. Mm-hmm. And it had like a little bit of a competitive side. Um, and it, it was really interesting to me because it's all time trial based. So like you load into this track and you can see the like ghosts of like all the other people racing while you're racing. And you're given, you know, three minutes on this track and you have to get the best time possible in three minutes. So you can mm-hmm. try it over and over again until you get the absolute best time. And I was really good at it. Like I was competing with top players from Brazil and like all over the world. Um, and then my roommate introduced me to League of Legends in season one. And then just everything like zoned, like everything became a blur. And like all I could focus on was League of Legends and that grind and then season two started and the lcs qualifiers mm-hmm. were coming around and i was already playing on teams and I, I actually played on a team that was in like the original lcs qualifiers and so it, it was like i i could like i felt like i was like almost there and i was close enough to where like i could i wanted to keep striving for it i wanted to keep like clawing at this chance to like go pro in league of legends and so that whole addiction was just way like swept away everything in terms of like my priorities. And yeah. I was just solely focused on grinding. Mm-hmm. So looking at kind of we talk about priorities, um, you mentioned that you skated through like both high school and pro- I'm guessing elementary school. You probably skated through pretty easily through both of them um, was what were your priorities during that time in your life when you were a kid kind of growing up through to elementary school, high school? What were your priorities looking like then? Uh, pretty much the same. You know, I was I was very much big into gaming. Um, mm-hmm. I, I grew up. My very first game system was uh, an old, like an original Game Boy. 
um, that my mom and dad had in their bedroom. I, I think it was my dad's. And um, I would like run in there in the mornings and like play Mario Golf on the Game Boy. And we had a Sega Genesis. We had an old Nintendo, a Super Nintendo. Uh, I remember getting Nintendo 64. Uh, so like I, my whole life, like from very early on, was heavily involved in gaming. I was addicted to Pokemon. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it was, it, it was you know I would I, I liked hanging out with friends and and playing video games with them specifically. Like I remember when we moved. Uh, from West Virginia to Maryland and you know my mom was meeting the neighbors and all that stuff and the neighbors would have kids my age and the thing that she would always talk about with them to like almost like screen if we were going to be friends or not is is your son or daughter in the Pokemon cards and do they play video games because like those were like the big things that were consuming my life in the 90s and early 2000s um but you know uh, it was always instilled in me that like you had to do well in school and uh, so I always, you know, tried really hard to do well in school. I, I was a straight A student pretty much my entire life. I think I mm-hmm. count on one hand how many times I like ended a semester with a B in a class. Um, and uh, I was pretty active, too. I played uh, I played T-ball. Uh, I played basketball. I played soccer. Um, I did tennis camps. I did uh, I played hockey like roller like on rollerblades mm-hmm. hockey um i tried to get into skateboarding for a little bit uh i snowboarded a lot uh, so I, I was pretty active too i had a pretty good balance and that all shifted kind of when i got to college okay so how does the the private uh catholic school come into play uh, are you like hyper religious how, how do you get uh put into a, a private catholic school for two years i um in west virginia i went so i went to a, like a montessori school <laughs> which I don't, I was too young to know if it was religious, but I think looking back, it was like somewhat faith and somewhat like pre-education. Um, I could be completely wrong, but mm-hmm. for early grade school, I went to a Catholic, a private Catholic school. And then when we moved to Maryland, I went to public school and then stayed in public school up until they built a Catholic school like near, like in our school district. Um, that was associated with the church that like mm-hmm. my mom went to and my family went to. So that opportunity came. I we skipped on it the first year that it was open, and then to let me finish out uh, the like it was it was called an intermediate school. So yeah. it was basically like they had like third through fifth grade, um, and then once you were done fifth grade, you went to the middle school for sixth, seventh, and eighth, and then uh, I, I I might have this wrong. It might have been like third through six, whatever the case mm-hmm. was, the middle school was its own grades and then high school. Yeah. So I was on the year to where I'd be shifting over to the middle school. And there was that opportunity to go to this private Catholic school. My mom was uh, pretty religious and, you know, I was born, baptized Catholic. And um, so I, I had always liked the private school atmosphere a little bit better because I felt like it was more one-on-one time yeah. with like teachers. And I felt like, uh, just comparing, you know, I was young, but still comparing the differences between being in a public school to being in a Catholic school, I felt like I was able to like grow and develop more at like my own pace uh, in private school than I was <laughs> in uh, public school. So um, we just kind of took that opportunity. We knew the class size was going to be really small. And, uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed my time there. There's a there's a lot of things that like are kind of ridiculous about that school, um, like you know, I'm in seventh and eighth grade 
and we had recess both mm-hmm. those years we had snack time um we would have like one day a week where like our first class of the day was always canceled because we had to like walk to the church that was attached like the parking lots were attached and like go to a mass and then come back so like there was like a lot of like amenities to being in a private catholic school that seemed kind of ridiculous but like yeah like make it having a math class where i'm eating snacks is amazing so yeah or being able to like go outside before lunch and just kind of like play football or something was like it was like really awesome and and i met a like a really good group of people and a lot of them went to high school with me so like it was really cool like to get that kind of close-knit connection okay so kind of looking at the the religious aspect you mentioned your mom was uh very religious was your family religious or was it mostly just your mom i think it's uh my mom and my mom's side of the family mm-hmm. my dad's side of the family not so much but my mom's side of the family is pretty pretty religious Okay, so where where did you fall in then? Where you because you mentioned you're extremely logical, and uh, everyone who I've said who's like defined themselves as being extremely logical, normally the religion doesn't play that big of a role in their life. Yeah, I was um, I was baptized um, and, and confirmed Catholic. You know, I went through the whole process, um, but you know, once I started getting older, and I started, you know, I had to take like there was religion classes when yeah. we were in uh, the Catholic school, and there was just a lot of stuff where it's like it didn't line up for me. Like it mm-hmm. just didn't make sense. And I think that's like the logical mind. I think a religion is a lot about having faith and believing yeah. in things. And and maybe I don't want to say ignoring the logical side, but just I, I think taking a like faith or, or believing in something by definition is almost ignoring logic in some ways. And that just didn't ever really sit well for me. And I felt like there was a lot of times where either something I was told like contradicted something else I was told, like readings from the Bible or or whatever the case may be. And um, for me personally, now I'm kind of in a place where, you know, I appreciate I appreciate religion. I appreciate that people have their beliefs. Yeah. Whatever it is, I'm proud that I'm, you know, baptized and confirmed Catholic and, and have that to me, it's almost more of a tie to my family than it is mm-hmm. like a tie to a religion. But at the same time, I, I don't know if I agree with religion personally. I think for me, um, I think for me, I believe that there's something out there. There's a yeah. lot in the world that we don't understand. There's probably something out there that created it because from everything we know, like something's created by something. Um and none of us have any idea what that is. And so whether it's, you know, uh, God or some other deity or Jesus or whatever the case may be, um, I don't know. I, I don't really choose to name it or, or follow yeah. one faith. I, I think I think a lot of times uh, my issue is if there's all of these different religions and a lot of them have like ideas that align, but a lot of them have ideas that differ and a lot of them contradict each other. And then even within the own religions, like holy passages or whatever say contradicting statements and that to me doesn't make sense yeah so i think that's where like i struggle and i just choose to like i respect everybody's religion i respect if you're religious as long as you're not like forcing your religions on me or like preaching to me and um then like i have no issues with it i just you know i choose to believe that there's something out there and 
Yeah, it is no, it I, is. I, I can respect that a lot. I, I actually probably align very similarly to that, to where I think it's called agnostic, where there's probably something out there, but you don't know exactly what it is. Um, I, I think that's probably where I fall too. So one of the things that I've kind of noticed in a lot of your, your interviews is uh, a lot of times you kind of relate to your mom. Um, and I don't ever hear that much about your, your dad. Um, were you just not as close with your dad? Did he not play that big of a role in your life? Or is it just a different uh, outlook that you kind of look back on? Um, I think it's just mom was much more proactive uh, in terms of like I'm trying to think of the best way to word it, but controlling the different aspects, you know, mm-hmm. like the, you know, screen time and things like that. Like she was the one setting the rules. Mm-hmm. Um, dad was more of the uh, like the buddy, mm-hmm. like like, OK, like mom, mom's off to work uh, at the doctor's office for the next week. So like we're going to eat trash for dinner and like where you you can spend as much time playing xbox as you want that kind of stuff um so a lot of like the the lessons that i learned i think come from my mom um that being said i think my dad taught me a lot he's he's a very hard worker he almost overworks himself and especially being in like a construction industry and uh i learned a lot about just hard work and you know almost keeping your head down and just you know letting your quality speak for itself uh which i think is something that's helped me a lot in this industry um uh, i think like a lot of that kind of work ethic and, and those types of lessons were ingrained in me from my dad not saying that my mom wasn't a hard worker it's just you know i was seeing him come home from work every day you know covered in sweat and he's outside you know putting a roof on a house in 100 degree summers or he's outside you know digging a hole to build a foundation of a house that he's building in freezing winters. And, you know, he just was like, he, he did his job and he did it well. And, um, he, he didn't understand gaming, which I also think was a big part of it. So it wasn't until he realized that this could actually be like a job Mm -hmm. for me that he started to like, it clicked for him. Yeah. And, um, he started to like, I don't want to say be more supportive because he was always like tolerating the fact that I was spending countless hours, but he wasn't like happy about it because it wasn't, you know, he was kind of like raised as like almost like a farm boy. Yeah. So he didn't understand that as much. He just understood like you go to work, you get paid, you come home, you eat, you sleep, you repeat kind of thing. And um, so, you know, the whole internet and gaming and all of that stuff didn't make sense. And I get it. Uh, it didn't make sense to a lot of people, but once he saw me win that first tournament back in 2000, uh, 2016, uh, I think that's when he went like, okay, okay. Like I, now I see what all those hours were applying towards. And then uh, he's played like a much more like supportive and, and like, like he's like one of my biggest fans, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. So kind of, kind of looking at that, did you ever have an option to work with him on the construction business? Cause obviously you worked in a donut shop and these other things, but it normally, especially with construction, it's fairly common to bring kids on, um, to help kind of like lure the trade. Was that ever an option for you? Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, I actually did work with him for one summer for the entirety of the summer mm-hmm. as just basically, a one of his employees and because I didn't have like skills of the trade, so to speak, I I was more of just like the, the helping hand on job sites, you know, carrying lumber from one place to another or getting supplies or whatever the case may be. Um, I hated it. 
it sucks. It's a lot of like <laughs> physical hard work, and that was not me by any means. So like I have no problem, you know, lifting 50 pound bags of donut flour and stacking them up 10 high and 10 across. But carrying lumber from one place to another is awful, you know, nailing drywall and just like it. It, it was gratifying to see like your work like come together, but it sucked. And uh, I had no interest and I'm glad I got the experience and I learned a lot, but I just had no, I just I, I would have run the business side for him if he wanted, but uh, or help my mom do that because that was you know one of the things that she also did. But I just had no interest in being out in the field. Yeah, I, I don't I don't blame you. my stepdad did construction. So I got to experience some of that. And I was like, this is a job I never wanted to do again in the rest of my life. It's so yeah. awful. And I think he kind of understood that, too. Like he always would be like, you know, telling me like he wanted me to do well in school and, and college because he didn't want me like, you know, he would say it like almost like degrading himself. Which yeah. I didn't like, but he would almost say like, I don't want you stuck out here working with me kind of thing where it's like, like, that's not the worst thing in the world. But, yeah. you know, like I thank you because I definitely do want to be educated and I want to have a, a, you know, a job where I'm not doing physical labor all day, every day. Mm -hmm. So you didn't. Uh kind of going into that now uh, looking you did really well in school you played sports it seems like you probably had a, a pretty decent uh background um you're in high school you're you're going to graduate which schools are you looking at because the way it sounds it sounds like you could have went to a lot of different schools yeah i actually uh i applied to nine schools and i got accepted to all of them um <laughs> and they ranged everything from uh well one there was one school that was uh it's a university of Maryland school that um, is a little bit more urban. Um, and so pretty much if you were in like the top like 10% of your class, they would offer you a scholarship. So like I had a full ride to that school, but I had no interest in going there. Um, uh, the only school that I would get full on accepted into, I got accepted into like the kind of like delayed entrance where like you go to one of their satellite campuses for one semester. The probationary well, stuff. Almost, yeah. And then if you do well, you come to the main campus and you're a full-time student, uh, was Notre Dame. Um, but I got accepted to, you know, Villanova. I got accepted to uh, UMBC, which is where I ended up going. Uh, I got accepted to, uh, I'm trying to think, University of Maryland, um, uh, James Madison. Like, it just, a, they're, they're, I applied to a whole spectrum of schools and um, mm -hmm. I had choices. What was the deciding factor in choosing, uh, you said it's uh, UMB, UM, UMBC. Uh, UMBC, yeah. there is four. Uh, yeah, UN, University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Um, so it's like part of the University of Maryland schools. Mm -hmm. um, the, the joke among the campuses was like the main University of Maryland that everyone thinks about for the, the Terrapins and the football team. That's the party school. Uh, UMES is like the more urban school and everyone called it the ghetto one. And then the one I went to was like the one for like, like, like we didn't have a football team. We had like the world's best chess team or something like that. It was oh, like the intellectual cool. school. So I went to the intellectual one and I think a big, I was between Villanova and that one. Um, location wise, I liked it better. Um, unfortunately, it was like closer to where my ex lived at the time. So I was like, that was probably a deciding factor I should have ignored. Um, but 
it was also like close to home while also being far enough away that like my parents couldn't just come stop by. And it had the program that I thought I wanted to get into. It was one of the only schools other than um, Rochester uh, that had uh, game development. So mm-hmm. um, I was, you know, that's where I thought I was going into. So it was, if I looked purely at that aspect, then it was one of the only two schools that was really an option. Okay. So can, you look at going to school there, you start to go to school in there. We, we kind of know the story already about how game design didn't work out. What I find fascinating about you, I, I won't lie. Like when I look at our lives, um, they're very similar. Like it is like terror, like some, like I was never good at sports or anything like that, but like a lot of our stuff, I'm like, Oh, there's some, like I owned a hot dog cart, uh, when I was younger actually until I sold it. Uh, I know. Right. Um, we both have, we both went to school for psychology, which I thought was like, fu- fucking weird so that kind of leads into that um what made you decide that you know what i don't i don't want to do any of this game design i don't like math i want to go into psychology psychology had always been the subject that was the one that interested me the most yeah Um, in high school i took psychology and i took ap psychology Mm -hmm. um and i was fascinated um I loved everything that I learned. I loved the teacher. And I think that teacher uh, was actually a massive reason why I got so interested in it because he was just like, he was an anomaly himself. Um, He would like say things to get a rise out of students and then just mess with you. And he would play mind games the entire class. And that to me, like kept me interested in the subjects. And um, like, he was one of those teachers who would be like, um, he would say something outlandish and one of the students, like one of like the troublemaker students would be like, Oh, you're lying. And he goes, no, actually I'm standing unless you consider the air a solid mass, in which case, yes, I would be lying vertically. And it's like just really weird, quirky things like that, but constantly made him like super fascinating for this also very weird and quirky subject that Mm -hmm. became fascinating. Um, so I, I had that in my, the back of my mind. And then when I was at UMBC, uh, a lot of my like extracurricular courses, uh, like the, you know, the ones that are like, you need the, I can't ever think of the name of the, the word for like the credits that you need, but they don't really count towards your degree. Electives. Uh, electives, yes. So a lot of my electives, I was choosing uh, psychology classes. Um, so I took abnormal psychology. I even mm-hmm. like, that was one of the few textbooks I kept um, just because, you know, it's a big book about weird psychology things. Yeah. Um, those were always my electives, and they were always the classes I just did really well in because they captured my interest, similar to how I was seeing other kids' interests captured in, you know, whatever my main classes were, like the kids who were addicted and loved drawing and art and, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, that was me for psychology, but it was electives. And it didn't make sense for gaming um, because there wasn't esports and there wasn't an esports degree, and so I had yeah. to stick to game design. So when I took time off, it was really to focus on pursuing esports. And so I came home. It was actually uh, so my the year I was supposed to graduate was 2014, um, maybe, and and I would have had a crazy year because I switched degree pass one more time before I like left, and I switched to technical writing mm-hmm. because I'd given up on the art side, and I was like, okay. I love technology and gadgets and, you know, computers and stuff like that. So technological writing is writing about that stuff. And I've always been really good at English and writing. 
Like I, I can't, I sucked at taking tests, uh, but I could ace an essay if I wrote it 30 minutes before. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, <clears throat> I thought that made sense and I, I tried it. And honestly, I didn't give it a really good try. I was just, I was so done with school. I was so done with that campus. I was done being a student. I, I really just wanted to focus on League of Legends and I was spending most of my time grinding solo queue and practicing with my team and then like i would not go to class or if i did i was a zombie and um it it wasn't a good decision that was probably my only regret from that is how i treated that semester and what a massive waste of money that was yeah but um when i took a break like that was like the semester where i was like okay like i need to be i need to stop and i i had like a like a big talk with my parents that was like i want to pursue trying to go pro in League of Legends and and trying this. And unfortunately, I think my mindset and my work ethic wasn't right at the time. Like I thought it was what I wanted to do, but I had like so many issues going on with like where I was mentally in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, like after like so many years of feeling lost and at college and just discouraged. Um, I don't think I was in the right mindset for the grind that going pro as a gamer takes. And I didn't have a good internet connection in Maryland, which made climbing the solo queue ladder pretty much impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, that was when like the donut shop idea kind of started. And I started taking a more of a backseat on a lot of the teams I was on and working on the management role where mm-hmm. I was. I was always the team captain as a player. So my thought process was, why not just do the team captain role and let somebody who's better than me and has more time than me do the actual playing. So I'll schedule the practices. I'll enter them into the tournaments. I'll find them coaches or all. And then I kind of started getting into coaching myself. Um, and I'll let the players who are better than me do the playing. Cause I was already playing with people who were better than me. Um, I, and I hated the fact that I felt like I was holding them back. So uh, that started to do, be a thing, which gave me a lot more free time. Uh, so we started the donut shop and then I really wanted a degree and I had so many credits in the system, I was literally a semester and a half, two semesters away from actually having a degree and pretty much anything I wanted. Um, so I started looking at what I could do either in schools nearby or uh, online and psychology and social sciences was a degree offered by the University of Maryland school system that I could finish online. Mm-hmm. And I had a ton of credits that already applied to it. I only needed to take a handful of classes. And I tried one class um, because I wasn't sure how taking online classes would go. And it just seemed to like click for me. It was learning at my own pace. It was um, it, it was a lot of like writing and rather than like taking tests. And it was a lot of like, you know, if you want to learn about this, you're going to read about it. And if you don't want to learn about it, you know, so be it. But mm-hmm. you still got to be able to do the papers and stuff. And I like the fact that it wasn't, you know, me reading and then me going to a lecture where somebody has to, you know, lecture at me for an hour and a half of my time about what I read. I had never understood that with college. I feel like if I'm reading it and comprehending it, then I shouldn't have to sit there and listen to you tell me about it for mm-hmm. an hour. Um, and online takes that out entirely, at least where I was. So I liked it and I signed up for the rest of the classes and kind of paced it out. And it just, it worked really well and I loved it and I did really well and mm-hmm. got my degree. 
So the degree was never about getting a job. It was just, I have these credits and I might as well finish off this degree. You never had any aspirations to do anything with that degree actually inside of like the field of psychology. Not really. My, my thought process was I'm passionate about psychology. And then the more I worked on it and the more I was doing management work, I realized there's actually like a lot of psychology yeah. and, and social science that goes into esports that people don't really think about. Everyone thinks about like I was, you know, the, the, the either being the player or yeah. being the business end or the marketing end now. But realistically, like when you're working with these players and you're working with players of all different backgrounds and all different cultures and in League of Legends, you know, I had teams where I'd have players from like Korea who were boot camping yeah. in the United States and players from California and New York and whatever. So you have all of these different personalities and mindsets kind of coming together. Um, it it was really beneficial for me to understand like who the players are, why they think the way they do, be able to build those kind of connections with them so that they could trust me that I had their best interests in mind and I could trust them and knowing like, hey, I'm going to take care of you. You just got to focus on playing. And if you need anything, you can talk to me. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that helped me be really good at my job and give me a lot of opportunities. And then it just it started to pan out when I came back to Gears. Mm -hmm. So kind of looking at your League of Legends, I actually started in League of Legends too. I did a little bit of work with RMU for a little bit. Um, and then I was actually interviewing with teams for League of Legends jobs, but then an Overwatch team hired me and I was like, yeah, I'll, I mean, because obviously I work with only mental stuff. So like the games don't really yeah. matter as much for me. Um, so like, I think... What is kind of hilarious is that we actually knew someone uh, from League of Legends, and I don't know how influential he was for you, uh, but uh, Marcus uh, Nazarene, I think he goes by, or Promise, I think it was his name back then. Uh, he used to do a uh, bunch of coaching. Yeah, so he's actually the one who like got me introduced to like league coaching and doing work with people because I was studying psychology and I was like, I want to make, I want like Weldon Green was just kind of like blowing up at the time, um, and it like. I was like, that's kind of what I want to do, but I want to do it differently because I don't like the way that this is kind of being done. Um, and so, like, that that was who brought me in. But funny thing, when you mentioned League of Legends, I know you've mentioned this before, you actually have worked with Bishu, which, hilariously enough, I've also worked with Bishu because he was on the LA Gladiators. So, kind of kind of looking at your, your career moving forward, what are some of the... Like, how far did you make it? You mentioned you got just before, um, like, the, the league system, the, the uh, trying out for LCS. Um, how far did you make it? And what was the reason that you decided to leave League of Legends behind? So, as a player, I, I played in the very first LCS. I lost two, I believe. I lost to, um, I think it was called Treehouse Gaming. And so, like, back then, ESL did weekly parallel tournaments yeah. that were, like, every Sunday. Um, and I think, I think it was Treehouse something. And they were like a team that was based out of California. There was like a little like Boba cafe type thing that was called Treehouse, And they were a really good team. I don't remember if they ever made a name for themselves professionally. Um, but we lost to them and then they lost to one of the teams that qualified for LCS. So like, mm -hmm. I didn't feel too bad about it. Um, I played in the IPL qualifiers. I'm I'm pretty sure actually the the videos are still up on YouTube somewhere where like Hat Person and it was like IPL five or IPL six um, were casting like our games and that was like a huge thing for me. Um, I unfortunately for those uh, we had switched roles the day before because one of the players like had issues and like quit the team randomly, so we had to like pick up us use our sub and then I had to switch roles. Um, 
but it was like that was like a little moment for me where i've like okay i'm I'm getting there like maybe if we hadn't had to switch roles and you know whatever mm-hmm. and then um i won a mlg online tournament it was the dr pepper five thousand dollar like ladder that they had on game battles and i won that with one of my teams and mm-hmm. so that was when i was like okay i just made like a thousand bucks playing league of legends i can do this and like at the time i was i was like high gold and on a team of all diamonds but they all like i was playing support and they all respected me because i igl'd so like even though my mechanics and solo queue weren't there it like worked really well and i was actually my ad carry was a he turned into a pretty big streamer his name was die 44 dye 44 and he was known as like there was a period of time where he did like only evelyn to like Mm -hmm a diamond one or whatever it was back then um so he like made a name for himself afterwards streaming uh but like i had some like pretty good people on my team and and it just stopped like i stopped having the time because of school and and everything um so in in terms of managing and coaching i i worked with a lot of players who ended up going to the lcs or to the nacs Mm -hmm. um in terms of like we'd always like qualify for the qualifiers and then we'd always like lose a match we weren't supposed to like mm-hmm. uh the team that i had with bishu we lost to tsm dark if you remember them and we lost because of a baron throw and it was like one of those matches where like we shouldn't there, there was no reason we should have lost our team was a pretty stacked roster uh i think like four fifths of that team went to the lcs um and the only one who didn't, he like quit playing. So mm-hmm. it, it was like a really good team. And and I think some of so it was Bishu, uh, it was uh Defley, who's mm-hmm. in the LCS right now. Um the support was a player named Tick. And then our top laner was Anda, who jungles now for, I think for yeah. FlyQuest. Um yeah, it was a really good Oh, and we had um we had Dardock in the jungle. Yeah. So like I had a really good roster yeah, on paper, and and we lost a TSM dark over a Baron throw, and mm-hmm. it's like uh, those kind of things like happened every single time. It was like three NACS qualifiers in a row that something like that happened, and so it was getting frustrating. And I was getting to the point where like I was the type of person who I always was straightforward with the players. I never had an org backing me other than like maybe one or two times. I definitely never had financial backing to like yeah. pay the players. And so I was really building these teams out of like, hey, I promise you guys, like, I will get you somewhere if we can do this. <laughs> and I will, like, get you paid if we can do this. And there was players who, like, worked with me before and trusted me and coaches who had worked with me before and trusted me and analysts. And, like, so they just, like, joined out of good faith. And I would build these sometimes super scrappy teams that ended up doing really well and sometimes superstar rosters like the Bishu one that for like lost for no reason um and so like i knew i had a knack for this i'm finding mm-hmm. this talent and then i'm seeing them like graduate once they're off my team um but i always had like a uh, a little voice almost in the back of my head that was like keeping a track on gears of war like oh yeah like there's there's gears tournament still going on like even though you didn't like the game it's fun to watch a lot of people you knew are playing still and then i got word of like the new game coming out which at the time was a remake of gears of war one and i had heard like bits and pieces about them trying to pursue the esports and i saw the developers were hosting 
in partnership with MLG, like online ladders to push mm-hmm. kind of the competitive side. And so I was like, okay, I'll pay attention to this. And I was working for an org at the time and I brought a gears team under the org. I mean, like they didn't get anything out of it and it was only for a short amount of time. But it kind of re-sparked my like love for gears. And mm-hmm. I was watching that team practice and I wanted to give them feedback and I wanted to give this structure of League of Legends esports to Gears esports. Yeah. Because at the time Gears Esports was like, you know, everybody uh okay, maybe we'll, it was like like gaming with your buddy on like around eight o'clock and everyone would get on and be like, all right, somebody tweet out that we're looking for a scrim. And it was like yeah. very casual and very like laid back. Whereas I was used to League of Legends where like I'm booking scrims two weeks in advance and I'm keeping them on a calendar that all the players have access to and are checking every day. And um, I felt really like I I wanted that in gears. Coaches like weren't a thing in gears. They were like pretty much like glorified like stopwatch holders and like friends of the teams who just wanted to tag along for a vacation kind of thing. Um, And I wanted to like bring real esports management mm-hmm. and coaching to gears but the team i was working with they didn't like really receive that well yeah um they, they like they didn't adapt to the change and then they ended up dropping like my like one of my best friends who was on the team and like what like who it was my main point of contact for them and so then i was just kind of like not interested with them anymore yeah so i backed off and then i saw the group of guys that i'm working with now i i like I had heard a little bit about them. I had just heard about like, hey, there's this like crazy young team. Like all the guys are like 15. And they're like considered online warriors, but they're kicking ass. And so I started kind of paying attention and, and watching them a little bit. And I I just saw potential. Like it, it reminded me of seeing the potential and the excitement that I got finding players like Defly and finding mm-hmm. players like Onda and stuff like that. Finding players like Dardock, even though he was uh, a pain to work with. And so, uh, no offense to how he is now. This is years ago. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I, <laughs> I saw, I got like this kind of like excitement. Like, oh, there's something here. Like, there's something about these kids. They're going to be special. And so I, li- I literally just sent a DM, like a Twitter DM, randomly to Mental, and I said, "Hey." Um, I my name is Nick. I work in League of Legends. I'm a coach and manager for league teams. I you know have contacts to a bunch of orgs. I know that you guys are young. I know that Gears Esports is starting like to re become a thing, and I know that you guys are good. And I want to help make sure you guys don't get taken advantage of because you're all 15 and 16 years old. And let me know if you like want my help and. They said, sure. And that's like how it started. And then I started like talking to them and being in Skype with them and learning more about who they are and watching their practices. And it just kind of blossomed into this dynasty. Yeah. And so I, I find this like fascinating. Do you ever have regrets that you didn't try to make? Did you, I guess I should ask this first. Did you ever try to make it to like a top tier pro team? Because you were always trying to build a team into the pro scene but did you ever try to get on just a pro team like a clg dignitas tsm anything like that uh i think i applied to a job with uh i don't remember which or but one of them at one point and i i never heard back and it might have been like it might have been like one of the new orgs that like when they came in and like bought an lcs spot kind of thing Mm -hmm. and they were like recruiting um i don't remember who it was and i wish i could but I, I always thought it would be cool and I like it was a dream job of mine. 
but it just never panned out and I didn't have the right connections. Okay. I didn't understand the importance of social media at the time and content in esports. And so like that's kind of like a regret of mine. I wish I would have jumped on that earlier. And it was always ironically a dream of mine to join Optic. You know, I would sit in like late night calls after scrims with Alorum because he was one of the players I worked with the most out of anybody mm-hmm. and would like talk to him about like how much I wanted like our league team to be able to join Optic and be the Optic League team and how much I dreamed of it. And and ironically enough, like I like threw his name into the mix when I heard like they were, you know, fixing the rosters between seasons for the Optic League team. I was like, yeah. I should talk to Alorum. Like I know he's on Echo Fox, but he's a great player. He has the best mindset of any player that I've worked for. He's funny. He's got mm-hmm. a stream following. He's perfect. And it ended up working out. Um, so like in the end, like those kind of late night talks turned out to be what we were hoping. We both were in Optic. But um, yeah, I just never had the opportunity. And and I wasn't the type of person who was, you know, making fake promises. I was, like I said before, I, I was trying very much to be like real with people. Yeah. And, and straightforward and like, hey, like I you know, my teams haven't won any of these qualifiers, but these are the players I've worked with or like, no, I haven't ever been paid for this or, um, you know, whatever the case may be. But uh, and at the time, a lot of managers in the challenger scene were kind of notorious for, for lying to players. And yeah. that's why a lot of like the well-known players at the time were always on these teams of like false promises. And then they always got burned. And I'm over here with my scrappy roster, but at least like I stayed true yeah, to, like what I told them. Um, I so you know I, I feel like there maybe there were some missed opportunities, but uh, I think it worked out in the end. And mm-hmm. I actually had the chance to go back in the league. Yeah. Um, when the optic move to Texas was happening, and they had like announced the partnership uh, to come to like Dallas and the Houston Outlaws and all of that stuff. And the League of Legends spot, um, I was told that I could go to California, like move to California and work on the league team and be a manager for the league team because they knew that I had this extensive background in League of Legends, that I knew most of the players. Um, They actually didn't understand until I was talking to them in these kind of like negotiations, so to speak, that like almost like 85% of the players that I worked with in Challenger, like on my own with no money or in the LCS. Um, and so when I listed these names and I guess they like confirmed, they were like, okay, this guy actually knows a lot about me. He's not just a gears coach. So they offered me to go to California and work with the LCS team. And I turned it down because my thought process was that I loved, I wasn't ready to give up working with the gears team yet, which I would have had to. Yeah. And the core of optic which is like what i had been in love with as a fan and what i've been like striving to be a part of when we joined with like you know by doing a content and all this stuff was going to be in texas so like i wanted to be closer to that core i wanted to work my way up that i wanted to be closer with hex and like work alongside him and learn from him and so i thought my best opportunity for that while also keeping my gear team was here in texas um so i had the opportunity and um you know it's it obviously didn't work out. Uh, there's no way we could have predicted it the way, but I've gotten yeah. to do something special. I've learned a ton, mm-hmm. and I saw it my gears team. And so, you know, 
I want to ask you because you because you've been involved with League of Legends and you've been involved in Gears. When I look at Gears, it seems more. I, I guess the the only word that I can think of off the top of my head is like authentic. Like it feels like really close to very personal and like as real to a person as you can get. Whereas the League of Legends, because of like I think franchising probably as well as some of the PR that kind of goes into it, feels you feel a lot more separated. Uh, do you think that that's true? Um. I think the the difference is Gears is almost like, and I, this is a, a phrase that I've heard the developers, uh, or at least the people who work on the esports yeah. side. It's the UFC of esports. Yeah. It's the one that's in your face. It's the one that, like, they want to teach you the stories of the people that are involved. And they're trying to embrace that, like, very urban and very rough around the edges and very passionate and energetic and in your face culture that is gears because the game itself is also a lot of those aspects um while also having the professionalism and the structure mm-hmm. that uh, a major esport would have and the only like model that you can really get both of those is something like ufc i mean like you can yeah. say wwe but that's scripted so you you can't um, UFC is the only like successful business model uh, where like you see, you know, the confrontation and the violence and the in your face energy and passion while also seeing the professionalism and the structure and the sponsors and all of that stuff. So, um, you know, you compare league league is fell NBA classic yeah. sports kind of comparison and because it's very structured, it's franchised, it's got, you know, these rules and regulations to it, which are great. Um, and I've always admired Riot for how they're paving the way for esports. Um, but League is much more, uh, pa- I-, I like the word passionate. League is, or sorry, Gears is much more passionate than that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I would probably use the word piece like PC for League of Legends because that's what it feels like. Um, but kind of kind of going uh, onto that, uh, looking at the structure side of Gears compared to League of Legends. Um, obviously, League of Legends has come a long ways, um, and the structure involved in League of Legends is pretty intense nowadays um, from like five years ago. Do you think that that is where Gears is going to be heading as far as like practice and scheduling and setting everything up, or do you think it's already there? Uh, it's getting there. It's not where I want it to be. And I think that's almost a a curse of console esports more than it is, uh, just gears. Uh, I would agree. I I even, I even saw on Twitter the other day where players were complaining about how it's ridiculous that they're not getting on at 2 PM for scrims. And I believe it was Marky B who works with splice, I believe, Mm -hmm. uh, the splice call duty team. And he was talking about how he went to the splice, uh, LEC house and saw, you know, they're in the office by 12 and warming up and then getting ready for scrims starting at one or two. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so he wished that structure was in in Call of Duty and with Call of Duty franchising, he thinks it will be. Yeah, I don't think it needs that much, especially for a game like Gears mm-hmm. and where we don't have the league, though, uh, you know, who knows what's going to come for Gears 5. Um, I don't think we need that level of structure. But I will say that like where we are now, and I'm going to humble brag here for a second. I think I've been able to like make a lot of changes in Gears Esports and set new standards. Um, you'll see a lot more teams having coaches. Some teams even have coaches and analysts. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And that really shifted and changed once I entered and, and people started seeing what I was doing with my team. And I still get stuff, you know, people don't believe that I do anything to my team. They think that I don't deserve yeah. to claim that I'm part of the team. And we, I've been here for three years. Um, a lot of people think I'm just a freeloader, but I think the majority have seen like, okay, he came on. He started like kind of making things a little bit different. He, he was the one reaching out and scheduling scrims and trying to schedule for tomorrow, but today. And so like, that's weird and it's they're winning. So something's going on over there that's working. And because of that, if we've gone from, you know, tweeting out, hey, need a scrim right now, invite, here's my gamer tag, to I like with some other coaches have created a, a DM chat on Twitter and all the coaches from all the top teams, like the pro yeah. teams are in it and we'll schedule scrims for the week on like for the upcoming week on like a Saturday or Sunday. Mm -hmm. And so like there's those strides being taken. Um, I would like to see the, the norm be teams are getting on earlier uh, because we're at the point where a lot of these players are salaried. A lot of them don't have other jobs or aren't going to school anymore because they're focusing on this eSport. So I would like to see where, excuse me, where we're at the point of players getting on at 2 p.m. Because right now the scrim blocks are 7 to 9, 9 to 11, oh. and then 11 to 1 a.m. Oh. Eastern. Oh. So... I'm central. I'm done by midnight, but that still sucks if you want to be an adult and like be able to wake up in the morning and gym, go to the gym and stream and like do all the other responsibilities that I have or want to have. So uh, I'd like to see it shift where like we're done by 10 p.m. and I could go to the gym and go to bed kind of thing or have time to stream after practice, similar to how professional teams do it. But uh, we're not quite there yet. You have to have a few teams buy into it for the rest of the yeah. teams to buy into it. And uh, hopefully for Gears 5, we'll, we'll see that change. Mm -hmm. So if you had to pick one thing for the structure of Gears of War that you would like to see change, is it the, the time slot made or is there something bigger you think that needs to be fundamentally changed? Uh, I think that the the developers of Gears, the Coalition, are doing an amazing job creating content series and things around the pro teams to promote esports. Um, that being said, I think that there's a lot more that could be done. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of the things they have done don't really reflect or tell stories that should be told. Um, and I, th I think that also falls on the orgs that are involved too. Mm -hmm. And I don't know everything that's in store for Gears 5. But I, I think that just, you know, for example, we just had the E-League documentary series and it was amazing. Yeah. And it was an awesome opportunity to have, you know, I was on television because I was a coach of a Gears of War team or I am a coach of a Gears of War team. Having those opportunities is amazing. And they were able to take, you know, identify some players from some top teams and focus on stories and background story to kind of build those characters. That being said, I think that there were stories that weren't told and then certain narratives that were forced. Mm -hmm. And I wish that it was more organic. And I'm going to relate to their own comparison of the UFC of esports. I love I love the UFC personally, and I love the content that they put out on YouTube around their fighters, around the fighters preparations for events and uh, just, you know, the behind the scenes and the press conferences and I wish that we had that. I wish that you know, we knew an event was coming up and the, the coalition hosted a press conference where all the players sat and 
were prompted questions from audience and from, you know, just generated questions where they had the chance to give each other some back and forth and maybe talk a little bit of trash and maybe have some rivalries flare up a little bit and some egos and some pride. Like, I feel like if you're going to go down this path and call yourself the UFC of esports, embrace that nature and do organic content around the stories that are there rather than try to force compelling narratives that like may be there, but are a little bit over dramatized than they really are. So um, I think the right steps are being taken. I just would like to see them almost refocused on, on what's actually there rather than manufacturing some things. Mm-hmm. So one of the questions I kind of wanted to ask you about your, uh, your your Gears of War team and really Gears of War kind of in general is one of the uh, common things with like League of Legends or Overwatch or all these other different games is a lot of times you have major roster changes over time, whereas with your guys and specifically your team, you guys didn't really do a, a ton of roster changes at all. A lot of them were like people decided they wanted to leave or quit or retire, and but your, your core roster has been pretty much the same for the last, what, four years, three years now? Three and yeah. a half years. Um, yeah, we we've kind of. I mean, that's one of the bragging points I've been actually uh, when talking to orgs recently. Um, our team. I joined in twenty September twenty fifteen is when, and the roster at that time was explosives or explosive mental, uh, solars and lava. Yeah. Um, and. We were that roster for a good while until Solars had to leave the team for personal reasons. And so that was actually when I had to, he left right before the event and the rosters were already locked. So I had to sub in for that event. Um, the player, we, at that event, we knew that Gears of War 4, the next game, was going to go from 4v4 to 5v5. So we already knew the amateur player that we wanted. Uh, we had like weighed all of our options. We knew the guy that we wanted, uh, Summons. We had already talked to him. In fact, we like at the event, we convinced ESL since I had to sub in uh, to fly him out as our coach because we were trying to get him to let us use him as a uh, a sub. And they said because he had won like the amateur series, he couldn't play in a pro match. So uh, he came out as our our coach, and I played. But at that event, we filmed the announcement of why we were picking them up. Like I had this whole, we, we sat in the hotel room and I interviewed every player of like what they were looking for in a teammate. And it was a great video. And it was our announcement of we picked up summons, this like quote unquote amateur player as our fifth for Gears of War 4. And the bloopers were hysterical and he fits really well with the team. And he's known these guys for a long time because he's been around for a while. Um, and we also had to replace our other player until we grabbed another pro from another team, Kenny. Um, and we kept that roster for a while. And then some, again, like kind of personal real life issues started flaring up with one of our players. And we came to the point where we had to make a choice and we had given kind of like a lot of, we tried to provide a lot of help and we've been having issues for a while. And then we lost Mexico and going into Mexico, a lot of people think that we lost the event, uh, the very first season one Mexico of Gears of War 4. People think we lost that event and then decided to make a change because we lost, when realistically yeah. we were going into that event with players texting me going, I don't want to play with him anymore. Yeah. So I was like, okay, like let's just do this event, let's win this event, and then we'll figure it out. So the fact that we got second is a miracle. Mm-hmm. Um, we came home from that event, and I actually like I was on a plane landed uh 
and I, you know, got cell phone connection back and saw like our group chat blowing up where one of the players basically gave that other player an ultimatum of like, you deal with your real life stuff and stay on the team or you don't and you're off the team. And uh, he was off the team. So uh, then we went to find out who we needed and we grabbed Icy and he fit the team well, though he definitely had a much different personality than the other people on the team. But he was insanely good. Mm-hmm. And we had that roster. That was like when we set the record for ourselves for like the longest win spree. We won five events in a row. And then uh, we lost in the second time. to uh, We lost our second event in Las Vegas. Uh, the beginning of season two, or I think the third event of season two. And we were having, again, we were having issues going into that event where a month before practices were inefficient, you know, people would like die and the blame games were happening, arguments were happening, or I'm being forced to cancel our second and third scrim blocks because... Someone's tilted. Yeah. Yeah, and they're getting off and stuff like that. And uh, we were actually living in all like in the same apartment complex in Dallas at this point. So uh, we should have been able to like handle these issues in person, but like they're still young, like they're older than when I joined, but they're still young guys. And, you know, when tempers are flaring up and stuff like that, you know, there's not a lot you can really do. And um, a lot of people were pretty hard headed about their opinions and their perspective on things. So we came to the point decision of like, as a core, as you know, myself, explosive mental and summons what do we do about kenny and icy because they're the two that keep arguing back and forth and we felt like they were the two that were causing the issues um and so there was like a back and forth of like you know who do we who do we kick and who do we keep or do we kick both and i actually uh, i I, and i told both kenny and icy this i was like okay well if they're both causing issues we kick them both and we find two new players and because I, like what's going to happen is we have we keep one and that person knows that they were on the chopping block and then we risk them causing issues with whoever we bring on next. And to me, like if they're both causing issues and we're having this trouble with both of them. Let's just cut all of it and start like start new with that, you know, two fifths of our roster. Um, but the players didn't want to do that. And I was like, okay, if we're not going to do that, we keep them both and we work through this because we just won five events in a row. Loss and the the uh, stuff leading up to this loss yeah. shouldn't be the cause of us splitting up. We're we're literally amazing. We're the best team in console esports. This shouldn't be a thing. Um, so I I had somehow managed to convince all parties involved to hop into one more Discord call and talk it out. I had convinced the three like core. That it was time to like forgive and move on, uh, and, and like like let's just get this worked out. I the other two had been talking to each other already, and like we're kind of moving past their issues and ready to work together. Despite having said very openly in our group chat, I'm never playing with him again, so it's either him or me. So like we had gotten past everything, and I'm like, okay, thank God, I'm gonna be able to keep this roster together. And Icy, admittedly, was one of my best friends on the team. Like I was probably the closest with him at the time. Um, so. It was like tough to see him on the chopping block. And I was trying to stay super open with both Kenny and Icy the entire time. And I was telling them, like, look, like, here's what we talked about as a team. Here's the issues. Here's what people are saying. Um, so we got on this Discord call and 
the the core three were like still skeptical, but like I'd already talked to them and they're already willing to move on, but they were like acting more skeptical in the call and saying things that like if you have the wrong idea, you can think that, oh, this means they're already done with me anyways, which is how Kenny interpreted it. So Kenny like kind of went on like a little tangent about like, well, like, oh yeah, well, screw you guys kind of thing. And it pissed them off to where, okay, never mind, screw everything we talked about. You're done. You're off the team. Icy, congratulations, you're still here. And so I had to work through all of that and explain the optic management what happened. And we released Kenny. And uh, I like I managed to get him like released and and like free to go to any org with no buyouts or anything. And I helped him move out and like I tried to do everything I could for him. And then Icy called me as we're like we're talking to both Praised and Solars, and we've decided that Praised is probably the better one to pick up. Solars had been on our team previously, and he had had to step down before, so I was still kind of concerned about that, uh, even though he had been competing for a while again at this point. And uh, and Icy called me. I was walking my dog, and Icy called me, saying, "Hey, I'm going to leave the team." And like I tried to explain to him like why he should stay and. It's a mistake, and he said it might be, uh, but I, you know, I feel like this is the best for me, and I just don't like how things are. I don't like the fact that I was on the chopping block. Literally, things I had thought about him not being comfortable anymore. Here yeah. it is, and and he was like, I, I'm just, I want to leave. Um, so I, I told him like, all right, you got to tell the team, and uh, he did, and he left, and I figured it out with optic management and took care of the paperwork and. We ended up trading him for Solars with the intention of getting praised because Solars and Praise were both on Echo Fox uh, with the intention of getting praised shortly after because that team was having roster issues and dissolving. And Kenny mm-hmm. had gone was going to Echo Fox as well. So ironically, Kenny and Icy ended up on the same team again. And, um, and then we had to wait for Praise's contract to end. And then we we finally got him. So it ended up being like a, a full switch. But... Every time it was because of some sort of external thing that led to us losing that made a tipping point that made us have to make a change. But there's only been three of them, luckily. Yeah, so I want to talk about that dynamic because that's a very different dynamic than, well, franchise leagues, first of all. Um, And especially now, franchise leagues, uh, players, uh, which from my perspective, I actually like better um, that players are all considered equals, but they don't really dictate each other's positions. But uh, you mentioned right there, it sounds like your like your players have a lot of say in what happens with that team to the point where they could actually kick someone uh, or have a large uh, say in kicking someone. Um, do you think that that's a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, I think it has pros and cons. Uh, I like the fact that we treat our team more like a like a professional team Mm -hmm. i think that gives us a lot of benefits uh on the competitive side and i think that leads to a lot of success because the players know that like hey these are like my brothers like these aren't just guys that i'm being forced to play with or that are here to collect a check and try to win Mm -hmm. these are guys that are here because they enjoy me they want to win for me uh, so i want to win for them kind of thing Uh, I think that drives them to play better. It drives them to trust each other more and to trust like the leadership in the team from either explosive, who's the team captain or myself. Um, Like that just kind of atmosphere. Like we we can joke with each other. You know, if we're losing at an event, if we lost a map, you know, somebody can say, Hey, step it the hell up because you're playing like trash and I know you're better than that. And I'm going to be here to support you when you do play better like that. Um, So 
like they're they're able to be more open and talk to each other and make fun of each other and you know like all like the brotherly things that kind of just builds that like closeness that's super important when you're not performing at your best i I think that helps them push each other up Mm -hmm. at the same time from like a a business professional uh perspective there are definitely flaws with it because there are times like you fight with your brothers and so there are times when like arguments and fights can happen or somebody can get just too worked up or you get frustrated with each other or sick of each other or you know four of them are living in a house together right now uh you know somebody leaves dirty dishes in the sink or somebody's dog pees on the floor or whatever the case may be and you know you have to deal with that out of game and then you also have to get on and practice with each other and like you're already kind of annoyed like okay his dog peed on my bedroom carpet and it smells like dog pee in my room and now i gotta sit here and shoot for this guy so he can win his fight like "Ah, i'll let him die kind of thing like maybe they're not intentionally doing that but i know that's like there and uh i think in franchise leagues like where it's like okay coaching staff comes in they're hired and management staff comes in they're hired and then they go okay what's the best roster we can build with our budget let's try to build like they find the right pieces to put together this puzzle i think it works um and i think that allows like that kind of hierarchy to be much more established but i don't think the cohesion will ever be as good with a roster like that as it will be with a roster like and i think that's where we find our success Okay. Do, we do you chose th- each other. Yeah. I, I. Do you think that your team is uh, an anomaly? Do you think that other people could build a team the same? Because when I hear your team, it sounds like a like almost like a perfect storm that you guys kind of came up together and you've stayed together and you've kind of worked around that. Do you think that other teams will will be able to have that same success? Because it sounds like it's an anomaly. Like very realistically, like to me, I'm like, wow, your team's like an anomaly that it's been able to work through it and not inter exploded like I've seen a bunch of other teams do in a bunch of other games. Um, Do you think, do you think that for like other professional organizations, do you think the best bet is for them to try your way or to try building it up almost like the the hierarchical way? I think, I think there is a a method to our, and I think it could work for, especially in like franchise leagues and things like, excuse me. Um, that was also something I did with League of Legends teams. Whenever <laughs> I was building challenger League of Legends teams, I'd always identify one player I'd want to work with. And a lot of times it was Alorum because I just loved working yeah. with Alorum. And from him, I would find and identify the other pieces of the puzzle. So I know Alorum's play style. I know his champion pool. I know his personality, so I need to find four other personalities, play like player styles and champion pools that kind of can mix well with that. So as soon as I find, you know, I have a top laner, as soon as I find a mid laner, okay, you two, help me find a jungler that you guys like. Like, who are some junglers that you like playing with, that you do queue with, whatever? I'll talk to them. And then from there, okay, let's figure out a bot lane. Jungler, do you know any 80 carries that you do? Like, and I build it more organically with like players that other people like on the team want to play with yeah because i think those connections are important um and i think that's why like the league of legends the the scrappy league of legends challenger teams that i have put together always found more success than probably they should have um and i think that's why this gears team is so good uh mm-hmm. you know obviously the core was there before i got them. they were friends who enjoyed playing with each other they played call of duty with together and played gb matches in cod they played gears and this was like their first time really teaming together, but they enjoyed it and they enjoyed playing with each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would see them like on Skype calls for hundreds of hours where the Skype call wouldn't end. 
<laughs> like they would fall asleep with Skype on and like I would get like hop on Skype and I'd get back from the donut shop and I'd hear snoring in the background. Like they would just like that was who they were. They just liked spending time with each other, but they couldn't because they weren't in real life. So it was remote. And I think that was another one of the things that I thought was so special about this team. Like that bond was something that was familiar to me from how I built League of Legends team. So that was that structure was already there. Um, and so every roster change that we've made, it's been a similar fashion. Like let's ide- identify somebody that you guys like who is also really good. So yeah. summons. He is somebody that you guys have all played with before. He's somebody that you guys have known for a long time. You enjoy him as a person. And he's really good. And he he fits our team. He's an amateur player. We can mold him to be what we need him to be. Uh, when we picked up Kenny for Lava, like Kenny, or no, sorry, uh, Icy for Lava, like he meshes well with the team. He's somebody that some of the players have played with before. It, it worked well. So... Mm-hmm. Um, I think that can be recreated. I think it should be. I think orgs and, and teams uh, should try it. You just have to understand that there's going to be trial and error with it. It's not something where you just build it and you see success. Yeah. You build it and you make small adjustments and then you find that that team and there's going to be like the the hard parts that you have to work through like any team does. And you know maybe you don't get the five absolute best players that you could throw money at and buy, but if you get five players who are cohesive, then there's you can train them to be, you know, I, for me personally, I think it's easier to train a player to be better at a game than it is to force them to be really close with other people on their team. You can do team bonding activities and take them to arcades and do whatever, go-kart racing, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, like friendships, like are, are it's hard to force them. It's hard to yeah. force relationships like that. If they're organic, it's more genuine. There's more trust. There's more accountability and reliability. And they that want to win for each other as much as for themselves is what helps bring that success. Okay. Um, I really like that. Uh, and c- kind of like looking at that, like you mentioned like the League of Legends and like the Overwatches. Um, one of the things I kind of wanted to ask you, and this was something that I just happened to notice, is that like uh, Optic was really dominant in games like Call of Duty, um, Halo, both Gears, but they never really found that much success with uh, either Overwatch, like with the Houston Outlaws. Like they did well the first stage, but then they didn't really do well um, and didn't make playoffs um, for the rest of the year. But then also their League of Legends team also wasn't that great. Is there something special with like FPS games, or do you think there's just a fundamental flaw? that was there for uh, the franchise? Um, it's hard to say because I wasn't super involved ever with the franchises. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, League of Legends and Overwatch League are kind of off on their own in California and the core yeah. of Optic was here. Uh, so when I was assistant GM of Optic, like I, I was able to work with all the teams that were, you know, a little bit with the Dota team, the Counter-Strike team, the PUBG team, you know, all yeah. that stuff. Um ironically enough when i was assistant gm the only team that was winning was gears team for pretty much the entirety of 2018 uh but i think that the success that optic has had is um you know optic was built in console yeah so i think it's more attractive in console it's more attractive to like the the top players and you know the the aspiring young guns they want to be part of optic because they grew up watching optic content they grew up watching the scuff house videos and hex's vlogs and all of that stuff 
Um, and I think that was, I mean, that's huge for recruiting people. It's easy to recruit somebody like when you're the LA Lakers, it's easy to recruit people or golden state. It's easy yeah. to recruit up and coming great talent when you have that legacy of like, Hey, you're going to be joining a championship team. It's, it's kind of the same thing with optic. Hey, you're going to be joining optic gaming. Um, so like those orgs that have that success, you can see the same thing in LCS. You know, you're for a while it was your TSM and your CLG. It's super easy because those were the brands of League of Legends. Those were the household names. Then it shifted to Cloud9 with their their roster of, you know, high and lemon and sneaky yeah. and like that, that roster that just went on that dominant run. Um, and now it's Team Liquid. So it's like those brands that are more organic and genuine to uh, the space cloud nine coming from like being a brand that started in league of legends, uh, TSM CLG, same thing starting there. I think you see more success because like those are brands and, and unfortunately, you know, TSM and CLG and are a little bit less so, but especially team liquid and cloud nine, those are PC brands. Those are yeah. big established, like well-off brands that, uh, have made a solid name for themselves in the esports space. So it's attractive as a young player to like aspire to play for them. You know, if you grow up watching Cloud9 and Sneaky and all that yeah. stuff, then you want to play on his team or that you want to fill his shoes and that kind of thing. Um, so I think that's why Optic saw its success in, in console esports and maybe not as much in the PC side of esports in terms of like the franchise leagues. Now I will say with, with the Outlaws, I don't know. I, again, I don't know how the recruiting process and, and anything has gone for either of those teams. Uh, but I do know that the Outlaws, at least in my opinion, they're one of the best in terms of executing on their brand and really capitalizing oh, yeah. on their franchising model. So like, even if the team hasn't been playing well, I, I'm pretty sure the numbers show that they're like the most popular team in the Overwatch League. So like, the fact that you can take a team that isn't winning... And or isn't finding success after the first split or stage and still have them be the most popular team. Like, I think that's where like they're really exceeding mm -hmm. or, and succeeding is, you know, in the uh, in the just making their franchise spot worth the money they invest into it. So, yeah. Yeah, kind of looking at that in esports, ever like I feel like a lot of people look at esports more like a competition, um, where I feel like the the competition is kind of what can help fuel the marketing, right? Like competition's important, but it's only as important as being able to like fuel the marketing aspect. It feels like esports, at least from my end, is a lot more about marketing and then like the competition is secondary. Cause you mentioned like the Houston Outlaws there. They're definitely not the best team, but they definitely have one of the, probably one of the best like marketing models and like uh, being able to get their content out and brand models out there. And mm -hmm. I, I would kind of argue that it's probably more important than winning all the time. Do you think that that's the way that most of esports is? Or do you think that's just specific to maybe the franchise leagues or what do you think i think that it needs to be a healthy mix of both i think <laughs> that um being able to market and being able to make the content will like give you that level of success because people want to relate yeah. to like watching teams so you know that was one of the things that i always admired and loved so much about optic was you know they got their personalities 
out there outside of just like the competitive player. Like everybody knew who Skump was as a competitive player, but you also knew who Skump was as a person because you could watch Hex's vlogs, you could watch Nade Shot's vlogs, you could watch streams uh, <laughs> from the house and them playing other games and just you could you could connect with this person that's Seth Abner while also following his career as Scumpy. So it would make you follow him no matter where he went, whether that was with Optic or if he went to another team or whatever the case may be. And I think because of that, people start organically cheering for, I say organically a lot, people start cheering for the team that that person they're connected with plays for, which in uh, Scump's case, for example, is Optic. So Optic builds this massive fan base because they do a really good job of capitalizing on content, which Optic started as a content team. <laughs> And and connecting their pro team with the content to get their personalities out there and building those individual fan base that then again supports and comes back to optic. It's almost like a circle of life. Yeah. So being able to do that is really important. That being said, most people don't want to watch somebody who sucks. So that is true. You could have the greatest content in the world, but if your team is coming in last at every single tournament. At some point, people are just going to go, oh, come on. Like, Let's do the Shanghai Dragons. Yeah, like it, it's it's just difficult to watch. Yeah. And there are some like teams that where it's like they're the lovable last place team and you want to see them do really well. Yeah. Um, but you, I think seeing teams that win, like being able to feel that, like once you're really connected with a player and with a team and a, and a brand, when they win, it feels like you win. So having that kind of bond and then being able to give a trophy, it's not like when, you know, when we felt like, you know, we won a trophy uh, as a Gears team under Optic, we didn't feel like we just won a trophy for us. We won it for every member of the green wall that was supporting us and supporting Optic. And mm -hmm. that was something that we took pride in. And that's something that we look forward to taking pride in for whatever org we go to next. Mm -hmm. So I think the perfect scenario is you have that content, you have those players that you can get the audience to relate to and support, which then they'll support your team. And then you bring them that or gratification of, hey, we won this. Thank you for the support because without your support, we wouldn't have been able to do this. Like that kind of cheesy stuff, but it, it's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, that's... That's okay. the that's the, the scenario, the perfect scenario. Perfect scenario. Okay, so I actually want you you kind of brought this up earlier how you were assistant GM. Um, you did not stay as assistant GM very long. Uh, it was like I think two and a half months. Was it just not the job for you? Uh, no, I was actually forced out of the role. Um, oh, how well learned. So when I when I moved to Texas, I was brought on as a player and while we were with optic before that i was constantly like updating my resume and sending it to uh hex and to jay or ryan yeah uh, at the time uh to like say like look like i you know here there's a lot of things that are amazing about optic and the back end i feel like i can help with mm -hmm. and i can do more than just coach this team and bring you guys trophies i can i can help you um and uh, until we came to texas there wasn't really that opportunity for me to do that and they offered me the player support coordinator role which turned out to be more than just that i was really kind of just like uh it was it was like a glorified role as like a team manager but for any team that needed it so mm -hmm. you know there was one point where i drove uh the PUBG team and the obey rainbow six team in a big shuttle van from dallas to austin for dreamhack 
and it was and then just made sure like that the the teams had anything they needed and so i was yeah. working with all the teams under infinite that like needed help um when things started getting rocky for infinite and optic specifically like around the time of the halo team being dropped uh i basically there was a there was a town hall like call uh that i, w- I was actually at an event for the call with the call of duty team and i called in and i i basically like bitched out the people who were like the, the higher ups saying like look like this this I, the fact that you guys are shocked that the content creators and hector are mad about the halo team being dropped because they weren't told and like the halo team was such an integral part of who optic is the fact that like nobody understands that is just sickening and like of why are you guys confused and like i i went on like how communication needs to be better and all this stuff and there needs to be more appreciation and understanding of like what optic is as a culture and as a brand and like by no means do i do i claim or ever like can understand it to the same level as you know people like hitch and obviously yeah. hex and, and people like that but as somebody who came from being a fan of like a diehard fan of optic and dreaming of joining to being part of it and watching it still from afar but still being part of it and then to watch it like being torn apart uh i felt like i understood it better than most of the people who were in the room that day so i think that um i think that caught on with a lot of people and so they started kind of picking my brain more about like when things were coming up and i could be like no that's a dumb idea or okay we can explore that you know maybe that could work out kind of thing um so and i still like on you know i was still friends with some, like the core of optic so like i could like hear their complaints and then try to voice them better or from yeah. like a different perspective to uh infinite um and i think that process is what got me promoted to assistant gm and so basically Ramon was the gm he was yeah. running the league of legends team but his title was gm and i was the assistant gm but i was running everything that was legend so making sure the Counter-Strike team and then there was obviously people who were like the esports department of infinite who were technically our bosses. Um, but in terms of like helping connect like the culture and the branding and the esports was like part of my job. It's just there was too many layers and too many people who were in charge of things that were all different aspects of optic to really have like a control over it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wasn't able to like really like the title sounds great and I should be able to do all these things, but like realistically that wasn't just possible with the way the structure was. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when all the layoffs came in and the, the changes happened with infinite, that was all over every esports news outlet. Uh, I lost my position as assistant GM because there was a belief that optic didn't really need a GM. Yeah. And, uh, I was just to be the gears of war coach. Okay, so I have to ask you a question because something that kind of comes up all the time is like investor money into esports leagues because you have a lot of these esports uh, or esports like teams and brands um, who came up very. I'm going to use the word organically. Uh, they built themselves up very small and they built them at least pretty amazing things and then obviously a lot of times they had to take investors to at least to compete and to, to outgrow and to, to scale like that. Um, do you think that? investment in esports is a good thing or do you think that it's for me it's scary like I, every time i see an investment i am terrified uh completely like 100 percent. so i'm terrified of investment in esports but do you think it's a good thing or a necessary thing or a necessary evil maybe uh i think there's a lot of good and a lot of bad um you know we obviously see a lot of horror stories yeah 
Oh, hello? You there? Nope. Uh, you cut can off. You hear me? Yep, you cut off there. Can you hear me again? Yeah, I can. Okay. So I think early on, uh, investment was often from the wrong types of people or the wrong <laughs> people with money. Um, and it was very new. So when people come in and you're used to being a gamer competing in tournaments and paying your own way, and somebody's come in waving money and salaries and all this stuff and making these kind of dreams, these childlike yeah. aspirations, a uh, reality, then you buy into it without really doing the research. And that, that still happens. Um, so early on, it was kind of a struggle. I, th I think Riot and their process paved a way to make it much more uh, successful for both the investors and then safer for the players and the teams. And uh, I, I think that the important thing is a lot of investors come in with whatever their background is. So yeah. whether it be an investment group itself or uh, a group of just like business buddies who own sports teams or, you know, uh, tech companies or whatever the case may be, they don't, they, they see that esports is a new up and coming business, a multi billion dollar yeah. industry that they want to be a part of. But they don't understand what makes esports what it is, like what makes esports so special. And I don't think they all understand how the like the process works to best be effective with that investment. So a lot of them come in and think it's going to be like a traditional investment where I throw a million dollars at this company and I hire the people that I know from business management experience to take over. And then I expect to see my million dollars back with interest in two years or whatever yeah. the case may be. I'm, I'm being grossly uh, yeah. uh, underwhelming with all of this, but... Um, that's not really how it works. And it's not that these people are are like dumb or not smart with their money. It's just, I don't think the understanding is there. And I think it's getting better. I think a lot of the people who enter the space now have seen and learned from the failures of others. And the learning curve is kind of there and people are, are figuring it out how to best utilize it. That's why you see so many of these brands focusing so heavily on content. Yeah. Because they see the phase and they see the optic who were so good at, at being more than just an esports team. Uh, they like could be a, a brand that could be profitable because the numbers are just massive, and the followings and the fan bases are like a traditional sports team. So now you see Team Liquid owning One Up Studios and doing amazing content around their teams. You see Hundred Thieves with their content team, who's absolutely killing it. Oh yeah, you uh, United with the Ascent series around their Call of Duty team. All of these orgs and these brands are doing content and it's even built into i think some of the franchise league like contracts where uh like the lcs teams have to have content around their their teams the overwatch league teams have to have content series around their teams and do certain amount of promotional events and whatever the case may be um because that's where you build like we talked about before the connection with the fans and that's where you can monetize this investment um but I think it took a long time for for people to learn that. And I still think there's some people who don't fully understand it that, you know, you might operate at a loss for a little bit. But if you do the other stuff right, then you can capitalize on these teams and, and find that return on investment. It's not like a sports team where you just, you know, you don't just buy these players. You and you have to like think about the bigger picture. Like so mm -hmm. an NFL team, like an NFL team doesn't make their money from just buying the, the best players in the league. That's not how yeah. the Patriots make their money. Like the Super Bowl is great and all, but they make their money from 
their ticket sales and their merch and, you know, like all of these uh, endorsement deals and uh, sponsor deals for the stadiums and like all this other stuff that plays into it. So like that's how they become a positive business. And uh, that wasn't there yet for esports. It's there now and people are starting to do it right. But um, it, it was it was definitely like a rough patch. And, and Optic, you know, Optic saw the some of the worst of the worst in terms of like they went from this amazing org that everybody in console at least aspired to be a part of that was one of the biggest brands in esports to i mean they have a call of duty team and a league of legends team and that's pretty much it now yeah so and you know they're they're bought out now so they're not even like like i feel like like the entire thing that was optic like it's definitely never going to be the same optic that people knew before like 100 percent, i don't think you can argue that you will never see the same optic that was there before um whether or not optic retains or stays or whatever it's never going to be the same um just because it's not the same people anymore um and i think a lot of the people that made up optic are what made optic great and a lot of those people are not there anymore because they're all gone um so i kind of wanted to ask you about like future plans obviously you're with tox gaming right now you kind of grouped together with the halo team um are you guys planning on staying there or are you hoping to get underneath a major org uh so tox gaming was just for the weekend of e-league yep we were hoping to have an org for e-league but unfortunately like it's a, it's a process and yeah and entering a space like gears of war is not an easy decision to make for a lot of these orgs that have you know, pandemic sponsors that yeah. you know go wait a minute like they this they is so violent what? yeah yeah um so it's 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 more of a process and it's a lot of more it's a lot more checks and, and boxes that need to be checked off for these orgs um so the the process takes a long time so we needed a team name for e-league and my idea was uh you know we could make up a team name and go as you know whatever we wanted to call ourselves or uh, we could do not really a publicity stunt, but, you know, for lack of better wording, a publicity stunt where we, you know, we were released per our request from Optic, uh, which we were thankful for. And we could represent the same name that the Halo team who was released pretty much against their request from Optic or against their wishes, uh, the, the same name that they used and have been using since they got released and and just kind of be like, hey, like we've reunited. We're both console teams. We're both the best teams in our games. And, uh, you know, let's have some fun for one weekend. So I reached out to Snakebite and uh, it just it, it clicked. He loved the idea. We loved the idea. I think they gained like something like four to six thousand Twitter followers over the weekend. And, you know, we got to win a trophy under Tox and and show some love to them because they'd always been super supportive of us when we were both optics. So mm-hmm. uh, it was a cool experience. But overall, you know, we're we're weighing all of our options. We're talking to uh, pretty much any org that you can name uh, in terms of, you know, what is available for us. And, you know, we just are trying to find the right one that makes sense, not only from a financial perspective, but one that feels like a home because one yeah. of the biggest things for us is you know we all joined optic with the impression of you know as long as we do our part and you know we don't do anything crazy that gets us fired this is where we retire like this is where we retire as players and move into you know some other role of esports or content creation or this is where like we retire as managers at 70 years old and let the next generation take over like optic is home we're optic till we die and unfortunately that's not the case unfortunately we had to make a tough decision and because of the way everything was going and um 
now, you know, that's something that we still look for. We're not one of those teams that wants to just hop from org to org and do six month to year long contracts and then go to the next option. We we want to go to a place that like loves us and appreciates us, loves that we're going to fill up their trophy shelves for them and who we are as people and want to support us through that until our thumbs fall off and then until we can provide something else, you know, like so that's that's a really big factor for us and it's something that makes the process longer on our end too. Yeah, so do you want to stick with Gears? Because obviously you've done other management and coaching. Is Gears what you see for your immediate future or do you want to look at other games or other management positions? I think my my dream is to be GM of an org or a brand or, or some type of... Oh, help. Cut out I, there again. Did it cut out again? I don't know why yeah. it's doing that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think my dream is to be part... Uh, of an upper management, like a GM role or an org or a brand that I am genuinely passionate about. Optic was that. I got a taste of it. Um, I felt like I was really good and all the players that I got to work with said I was really good and they appreciated, you know, everything that I did for them. And, you know, I I can see that I'm good with the success that my gear team has. And, you know, I've always done all the management around them. So I think that that's like kind of where my calling is and it's where I'm the happiest. But, um, you know, for now, like uh, I'm I'm also a good coach, in my opinion, uh, and I think I'm one of the better coaches, if not the best in Gears esports. So I'm I'm happy with my team. I, I love like helping push my players to like see success. And so I'm definitely not unhappy with where I am, but I definitely have aspirations to be something more than just a coach. Mm-hmm. Okay. Awesome. I've had a lot of fun having you on the show, uh, Ashes. I think, I think it's been, uh, we've been here almost two hours, so it hasn't felt like two hours. Really? So yeah, no, I, this is, a, this is how the show goes, man. Is like, you, I get you out here and then I make you forget about time. That is like my, my goal is to make you forget time exists for a little bit. Um, so I just wanted to thank you for, for being on the show. It's been a lot of fun. I think we've learned, uh, I've learned a lot about you and I think everyone who watches will learn a lot about you. Uh, I have one last question for you. It's really easy or hard depending on who you are. Um, having had the experience being on the show um if you could have anyone to be on the show that you would like to watch who would it be the only caveat is they have to speak english and be involved in esports in some aspect hmm um you know my 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 first thought goes to somebody like hex but i feel like i've watched his vlogs and his own the eavesdrop podcast so much that you know i i know i feel like i know that guy really well um so it would have to be somebody, I don't know if he speaks English, but somebody that I've always wished there was more content around because I, I look up to him in a lot of regards. There's like three people in esports that I try to model my coaching methods after. Uh, Weldon, uh, Mind Games Weldon. Um, I, I love his kind of psychological approach to things. Um, uh, Last Shadow or LS. I know he can be kind of abrasive, but I love that he is so like detail oriented that he can explain to you in an argument why you're wrong every step of the way and make you feel like an idiot so that you have to listen. I don't think that's always the most effective, but I it's fun to watch. And I, I appreciate that. Like I said, that attention to detail. And then uh, from SK Telecom or, or now T1 Coma, uh, I don't know if he speaks English. But there is like very little co- uh, content around him. And I would just love to know more what he does because there's got to be some winning formula over there because pretty much every roster he's ever had has had some form of success, including multiple world championships and the 
world's biggest esport, arguably. So uh, if he speaks English, him. If he doesn't, then I don't know. Uh, One of the other two? Yeah, someone else. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, well, this is your chance. If you want any shout outs, you're more than welcome to shout them out. Uh, I don't normally do shout outs, but if you want them, you're more than welcome to have them. Yeah. Uh, I would love to obviously shout out my team because if, you know, I didn't have them, then we wouldn't have this winning family of a esports console dynasty. And uh, shout out to my, my actual family for supporting me to get here and my girlfriend for, you know, tolerating me and loving me and uh shout out to all my social media make sure you follow me at thy ashes thy ashes on pretty much everything i got a new podcast coming out as well i'd love to have you as a guest sometime would love if to be you're ever at an event that i'm at um it's called the Ashcast. and uh yeah thank you so much man this has been a lot of fun one of the best podcasts i've ever been on Oh, thank you so much. Uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. For everyone out there, this has been Deep Dives into the Minds of Esports. My name is Blake Panashevitz, and until next time, I hope you have a wonderful day.